Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by the goddess from space, Erica Chantel Carter. Erica Chantel Carter is a Detroit original an African-American vocalist, actress, storyteller, and trans activist. Also known as Moon One Love, Carter has a unique sound, drawing from personal experience and blending an extremely visual appearance and a dramatic flair with a charismatic presence that draws in her audience into each performance. She's been profoundly inspired by the rich musical climate that Detroit has to offer, and it shows in the diversity of her music. As an actress, she's known for her role as Zune in the 2016 film Black Petunia, a dystopian story about a corrupt government that's erasing people's memories through contaminated drinking water. An activist in the transgender community, Carter has shared the story of her transition, speaking openly on how she has embraced her identity, knowing the stigma that surrounds trans women. Her message being that there needs to be more conversation involving trans women, that they need a seat at the table and need to be present in more workshops. In 2016, Carter took to the stage as part of the secret society of twisted storytellers. She told the story of an incident where she'd been faced with transphobic discrimination in a Black-owned business. What is justice and the many factors affecting her decision and the outcomes put her directly in the crosshairs of her intersectionality as an African-American, a trans woman, and a member of LGBTQ community. She did this with the wisdom, grace, that was truly worthy of the goddess from space. Erica, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. Thank you for such an amazing opening and segue to the interview. I'm I'm humbled. Oh, well, you know, I mean, one of the things that, 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 you know, that it talks about how your visual appearance and dramatic flair, you are, I, for lack of a better word, elegant. You have that sort of like, you know, that, that, that look that we remember back in, you know, of, of what black women were, you know, that sort of like uh, old school black Hollywood. And, and, you know, you're so elegant. You always have grace and charm whenever when you walk in the room who was your inspiration 
who said, you know, girl, you know, get it together here. This is how this is how we do it. This is how you how you come into a room. Well, you know, the thing about it is growing up um, and having my experience out in Southwest Detroit. I'm, I'm from Southwest Detroit in the Down River area, um, out of Drive Seventy Five area, about five mm-hmm. miles past. Um, um, about four to five miles past um, Mexican Village. So you look at fantasy was a big deal in where I come from. We call it ghetto country, or country ghetto. Mm-hmm. So watching TV and, and magazines, I, 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 have, I come from a very big family. But I have my sister, Charlene Carter. She, she always watched Lola Falana specials, and she, she, you know, had posters of Donna Summer and, and Rufus mm-hmm. and Chaka Khan, and, and she introduced me to LaBelle and Pat LaBelle. So, and her favorite, you know, Beyond Donna Summer was Diana Ross. So when I looked at my sister, and she was beautiful, and I emulated her and my mother in so many ways, and then I looked at, you know, uh, knowing that Diana Ross was, was from Detroit and part of Motown as a kid, I looked at how elegant she was, but also, mm-hmm. you know, you have a lot of these regal performers like Josephine Baker and then Donna Summer and people like that made me want to have a strong presence because I was listening to the music and the music spoke to me. So, And then I, I love old Hollywood movies. So, you mm-hmm. know, looking at Dorothy Dandridge and, and then knowing the history of Josephine Baker, I, I was just a very... Uh, uh, how could I put it, eclectic child, and I was drawn to the art. So I, I kind of just created this, this, how could I put it, this um, persona within myself because I saw that they were, they had personas. So it was like a larger than life. So it's, it's a culmination of a lot of, lot of entertainers. So from Donna Roth, Donna Summer, Cher, um, uh, Lola Falana, and LaBelle, mm-hmm. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Those are very strong presences, but especially, you know, with the the, the black women that I named, you know, and <laughs> I, I just, I just, it's almost like being a superhero too, you know, to be mm-hmm. able to pierce through a crowd, especially as a as as a black woman. So those those are like my, um, you know, how could we not uh, um, ignore? How could we ignore the boldness of Josephine Baker? <laughs> I know, I know. So, so it kind of really starts from there. You know, imagine being seven years old and seeing a picture of her with her hair finger waved and nothing but bananas as a skirt and then reading the mm-hmm. history of. So it, it that boldness comes from that, that otherworldly boldness comes from that. I know what you mean because I know that often you know, people say if you could go back to a time, I always think about the Harlem Renaissance and when you see and you see how they hit the Cotton Club and you saw how Absolutely. black people had their – their own, you know, they had these clubs, they had these singers, they had such talent and Lena such Horn. style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I blurted out Lena Horn because I, 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 how could I, I feel, you know, because I've been, depending on what type of music I do and how I wear my hair, I've been compared to her and, and, and look in class, unless I'm doing something really outlandish and cabaret-like in song. But Lena Horne, mm-hmm. she basically oh. was a template. Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, yeah, I can definitely see that. I can, I can see that, really. So who is your, you know, if you may say, well, pick a, a song catalog that you're going to pick the songs of a certain artist, to perform, who's your favorite? 
Donna Summer. Mm. Donna Summer is my favorite singer. <clears throat> She's mm-hmm. my favorite artist, female artist. Her catalog of music, you can, I have, I have, like, my list of top ten, if I were to go to the moon, no pun intended, what would I take with me? And some of the uh, worst would, you know, would be from anywhere from Stevie Wonder songs in a Kid Life. That's a two-album set, mm-hmm. but um, a double album. But I would take her live and more because on her live and more album, you have the MacArthur Park Suite. At, and you oh, have yeah. her doing a, a, a large, um, a, a full, she had a small orchestra that, toured with her during this during the height of her career and she's covering Gershwin and Ellington and she's uh has a song called Mimi Song that she wrote for her daughter and then she she covers The Way We Were, Dot Bob Streisand song and then she's you know, she's going from jazz swing, singing one of these days and I've got it adding that in good and then going into her 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 music. So she she brought Can Can and Cabaret full to life on that album and then you go into <laughs> the techno, the live tech, the live techno version with an orchestra of "I Feel Love," and then you segue into this masterpiece mm-hmm. called the MacArthur Park Suite, which has Heaven Knows and um, uh, MacArthur Park reprise on it, and, and it's just 17 minutes of pure joy, and to me, one of the best pieces of music I've ever heard. It was just, just masterful not just the singing but the music so that's one of my i would i love her catalog um and she's the my the artist that speaks to me the most and you know mm. and then um uh aretha franklin oh yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah i i've been doing mm. an aretha franklin um uh tribute the last few months and um, it's mm-hmm. going over really well and especially to being chosen by people who to do her uh, a tribute to her that grew up with her and called her you know their you know godmother and uh mm-hmm. it, it was great so yeah you know uh, and and the thing is like i mean donna summers aretha franklin how as a as a performer and someone who was so influenced by these people and, you know, now you've got your memories of them because they're not here. Mm-hmm. How has that affected you? Well, it affected me in a very, very metaphysical way because music is the communicator. That's the one thing, whether we have lyrics or not, it's the one communicator that humanity. In extraterrestrial life, I'm, I'm, I believe we communicate because we make music mm-hmm. in our bodies just with the heart you know, just the way our heart beats and things of that nature. It, I don't feel like I, we've, they, they, we've lost them because we have their music and their memories, mm-hmm. but there's this void of true musicianship and true ability to entertain. You can strip everything down to just voice and presence, and we don't have enough of that. Um, you listen to Donna Summer, who who was inspired by Aretha Franklin, and, and I was in a concert where she sang "Natural Woman," and oh my God, it was amazing. But you take mm-hmm. you take away all the the trappings and put Aretha Franklin at her piano, and or without a piano, you can have these women a cappella and their voices and what they put into their performance and all the nuances affect you in such a way and it has a it has it has inspired me as a performer to mm-hmm. bring that back 
we don't have enough of that. We we have a lot of uh, I'll have twenty dancers on stage and I'll have a light show and dress scantily clad and though I've been scantily clad on on uh stage as well, there's always been it's not a gratuitousness about it. It's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. It, it goes with everything that's being um told in the story of the, the, the fabric of that I'm weaving while I'm on stage. So mm-hmm. that has impacted me deeply because you know, we we need a lot more entertainment and true artists, not just manufactured songs and manufactured. It's like canned applause on a, on a television sitcom, <laughs> canned artists, you know, and mm-hmm. it's a struggle to be an artist, period, or be an entertainer because getting on the stage is half the battle. However, I, I don't see enough musicianship or artistry that is really from the heart. And mm-hmm. that's one of my mission statements. That drives me. You know, it was funny. I was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, um, last year towards around Thanksgiving, and they had this this little stage, and there was a group there, and they were doing like Motown songs, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and none of these people had ever been here, but they were really feeling it. You know what? They loved the music. You could, like you said, the music had touched them and made such a difference. Mm -hmm. And when they found out that we were there from, uh, you know, Michigan and Detroit, they were like, did we do it okay? Did we do it justice? And they said, yeah, you know, they said, and they talked about how they had just grown up seeing it and how they loved the music. And it's like you said, you know, that music, Mm -hmm. that music Mm -hmm. is a language in and of itself. It touches people all from all over. And there are a lot of young people that I run across that have a thirst for real music. I've, I've spoken to a lot of young people that have that are not satisfied with what they're being said um, mm-hmm. musically and lyrically. I did a show this past August at the Charles H. Wright Museum, and I sang one of my original songs, um, Lemon Drops and Butterscotch, which I'll be releasing this spring, and it was mostly hip-hop audience. And these mm-hmm. people, these young people were singing my song by the middle of the song. They were, they were singing the hook. And mm-hmm. then I performed at a hair show where there were close to 500 people there at Culver Hall. And there was a lot of young people there. And I did two sets. And I had a, a group of rappers from Pontiac that were like, we want to work with you. You would think we're dope. And I said, well, you know, I'm... You know, not in my twenties, and it's like, no, we just love what you do. And we don't. Mm-hmm. The second set, you know, because my first set was Aretha Franklin tribute, but the second set was my original music, and they were enthralled with that, and that that makes me thrive with what I'm doing because part of, you know, my brand is representing a lot of the things that people have as hurdles: ageism, sexism, genderism, mm-hmm. racism. You know, mm-hmm. because I'm doing now at 52 what I've been wanting to do my entire life, but there were just things that got in the way that got in the way. And it's never too late to have your dream. And, and having being able to produce, write and produce music that's effective is, is a dream come true. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing like a, a – there's something about a Detroit audience that we love and appreciate music. I can just yes. see – that audience, you know, getting the hook and singing along with you because mm-hmm. that's, that's, Detroit, that's, that's Detroit, you know. We love and <laughs> yes, appreciate music, you know. Mm-hmm. So how, tell me, 
you're, you're also known as Moon One Love. What yes, does ma'am. that mean? Where does well, that come from? That comes from I live by the three Ps, to be profi- provocative, profound, and prolific. When I explain that to people, they say, okay, to be provocative, to provoke thought, to be profound in my delivery, and to be prolific, to yield something great. I wanted to have a name. Erica Chantel Carter is, 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 is beautiful, and I love that as my name. And, you know, most people on the street call me Moon because I like, you know, mm. they'll abbreviate Moon One Love. But Moon One Love comes from the fact that I, a lot of my religious studies and uh, studies of indigenous beliefs and cultures, because I'm, I'm um, uh, five parts Native American from three different tribes, and with me being a black woman who was mixed with Irish and Indian from India, I want to know everything about my lineage and beliefs, politics. So Moon One Love reflects how the moon in all of our seven, seven to eight religions that are prominent and then most indigenous cultures, the moon represents the female or feminine aspect of God. Mm-hmm. And then we have one moon for, the, for planet Earth, and we have what I call one love. And so I tell people there's one moon and there's one love, and it's from above. And I always say in the mm-hmm. darkest of nights, you can be guided by the light of the moon. So you're never lost, you know. Mm-hmm. And the moon refracts, doesn't produce light of its own. It, it, it refracts the light of the sun. So we are reflecting. So I wanted something that would be prophetic and have a profound impact on people when they think about it and make something, have something edifying for myself and edifying for people to say. So there's one moon, there's one love, and it's from above. And it's moon, one love. So that's mm. how that came about. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I mean, and that is, it's just like, it's so, it, it makes people stop and think. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really does. Yes. It makes people stop and think. And now, is do you use, like you said, that most people on the street will meet you and they'll do, they'll call you Moon or Moon One Love. So that's uh-huh. like um, your other name. It's not a stage name. Or do you it, use, a, you know, not exclusively a stage name. It's your name. It's, it's who you yeah, are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my moniker. It really is. Erica Chantel uh, Carter, we call that our government name. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, but as an entertainer, two of the force that I am, it's, you know, I, I, I'm a ham. So um, uh, that is something that means a lot more to me because it's, 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 it's something to reflect how I feel about life and people and what I want people to feel. I want people to feel one love. So people abbreviate it and they call me moon or they'll go moon one love. They're excited. I'm like, and I say, you call me moon for short. So it's, <laughs> it's just more endearing to hear mm-hmm. how people have my moon babies call me moon one love. <laughs> and I have younger people that say, Hey mama moon. And it, oh. it's been very effective. Oh yeah. It's so endearing. Uh, my engineer mm-hmm. and, um, musician that I work with, Brian Holt, he'll say, hey, Mama Moon, what's up? And it just almost brings tears to my eyes because it, there's, you, you can't say Moon One Love and not feel the vibration that comes from the intent. Moon One Love. 
It's like when we say amen or amen ra or om, these holy words or things that we say to resonate a vibration of a higher self and in the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's nice. Like, the fact that I love the fact that, like you said, the kids call you Mama Moon. And I don't, you know, <laughs> it's like you're still, you're a part of a community. And, yes. you know, you're so, you, your three Ps are things that many young people need to have someone talk to them about and, mm-hmm. and put in their mind. So, you know, that you're, you're, you're teaching as well. You're not just performing. Uh, you're right. teaching. Thank you. I, 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 thank you for acknowledging that because that is part of the purpose is that when people see me, and I've been on the uh, music scene for a couple of years now, and I would have, and, and be honest, is I've been in three bands, so I've stopped and started, stopped and started, stopped, started. and bands can be hard. But now mm-hmm. that I'm just moving, you know, because I started in a rock band first, and yeah. to work with a lot of musicians, and I don't want to say find a niche, but to get into a groove, and now that I'm moving forward and really going to put out legitimate, properly, you know, created music and in proper forms, you know, mixed mastered and put out in the proper platforms. I'm so happy about that. But the thing about it is purpose. When I'm able to, to perform in front of a hetero hip hop audience that's at the Charles H. Wright Museum and I can announce on stage right before I perform and say, hey, moon one love and have everybody say, you know, even though I was introduced and said, you know, there's one moon, there's one love, and that, moon, that one moon and that one love is from above. Can you repeat it with me and have the audience repeat after me and then to go and say live and follow your dreams? It's never too late. I represent that. And then say, and I happen to, actually, I, by the, I happen to be a post-op trans woman, by the way. Sometimes, uh, you know, people's mouths drop and then I'll go right into song and it Mm -hmm. just gives people, and I start outing myself like that because I'm like, how am I giving the audience to really know who I am if I'm not letting them know what I am and who I am as a human being and a spirit on this plane called earth that we share together. And I receive nothing but love and respect. Yes, there are questions afterwards, but the questions educate. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. I'm answering the questions, it's not, I tell people there's nothing wrong with the question. As long as it's done with some dignity and respect, I'll answer any question that they need to know because when they don't, when you don't know, you're ignorant. Ignorance isn't a bad word, you know. So that, mm-hmm. I give some purpose. And, and that, that, that in itself is, takes, you know, you have to be courageous to go mm-hmm. step out in every day and be, be a woman, be a black woman. Mm-hmm. Be a black trans woman. Thank you. You know, I mean, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so. Now, you, yeah. you know, you are, you are an icon. I mean, you're beautiful. You've done many oh, things. You. you even in black petunia. How did, how did that come about? How did they approach you? And what did you think about, you know, I want to try this or is this just one of the, it sounds to me like, you're not shy about trying new things and expanding on what you do. But had you thought about going into acting, or how did that come about? Well, acting, um, I've been to acting school for 
um, independently, you know, paid for by out of my own pocket. I started my journey into acting some years ago. So I've, I've, I, and I'm actually a, an alumni of Second City when they were out in Novi. So for mm. uh, sketch comedy, and also I did their writing program for about a year, their sketch comedy writing program. Um, in a nutshell, I'm an entertainer. I have an acerbic sense of humor. So mm-hmm. as a child, I was always into the arts. I played the violin, but I was, I, I've always been a writer and <clears throat> somewhat of a prankster, and I like jokes and I like humor. I like all humor. It, you know, too bad we live in a day and age where everything is censored and everyone is butthurt over every little thing. People just need to go ahead and just humor is humor. I'm not offended by a lot of things. I like a lot of humor, stereotypical humor. Because laugh at yourself. I don't. I don't have a problem with that. But with Black Petunia, I was um, I was offered the role. I was cast. Young man named Spencer King. He's from California. He's from what's the name of the beach? Venice Beach. His mom had did mm-hmm. a, a documentary that was nominated for an Oscar. He moved here, and he was actually a student of CCS. And what he did was. He wrote this brilliant, had this brilliant script for this movie. And the young lady that was helping him casting told him, I would be perfect for Zune. And actually, the, the film has gotten some rave reviews at a, um, uh, the Sarasota Film Festival down in Florida. So hopefully at some point it will be, it will be to the public to see the film because, it's, it's, for me, it's a star-turning role. It's, you know, the right people see it. But I was asked and um, to meet up with Spencer and a young lady named Crystal Starr. And we met up at Whole Foods <laughs> over there what? on uh, Martin Luther King and Woodward. And we sat mm-hmm. down and Crystal said, Erica Moon, this is Spencer King. We talked on the phone a couple of times and when we met and he presented the script, he said, yeah, when he looked at me, he said, oh, my gosh, you would be great for Zune. And she said, I told you. And I read the script, and he told me about the part. And the it's a secondary role. There's a starring role, so I would be a co-starring role. But my role is the linchpin for the, the movie and what she does to start an underground movement against this crooked government just spoke to me. I mean, look at us, look at the uh, 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 politics and <laughs> the weather well, of our know, politics right now. We, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just well, you great know, when because, I, you know what, the first The first thing that I thought of when I heard what the plot was, I thought about Flint, Michigan. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and the amazing thing that's beautiful about it is this young man, had no idea when he wrote this four years ago. He had no idea what was going on in Flint, Michigan. He never, he didn't know what was going on with the municipal water. And I had told him, do you know what you've just done? This is amazing. He, and I said, do you know what's going on with Flint? He says, I do now. I, he, I said, when did you write this? He said, about a year, year and a half ago. I said, this is amazing because the storyline and the way it's twisted is people are being controlled through the water. And that's mm-hmm. one essential thing like food. Water and food are things that we need essentially. So it basically broke down to being about, like, he allowed me to write a monologue in a movie where I say, you know how I keep clarity? I don't drink what I don't purify, and I don't eat what I don't grow. 
So it's basically mm. anti-government in the sense of also our food is contaminated, our food isn't pure, and how elite, elite society gets the pure water, like in this dystopian uh, world, everyone that's drinking water that's purified, they're drinking out of the bottle where, where the Densians or the have-nots aren't able to, and it's like phasing out society because you're stripping people of their identity. So when I was presented the role and read for it right then and there, you know, he explained to me over the phone, and then when I read the script, I said, I'm, I would love to do this, and it was just an amazing experience. And um, acting is part, singing is acting. Acting is, and Donna Summer said something very, that stayed with me for a long time. She said, I'm an actress who sings. When I sing, I sing and take on the role of the song, which, which is what you do. So, therefore, acting has always been a big part, acting and comedy. So I, I'm an entertainer, and but, mm-hmm. however, singing is probably the biggest part of me singing saved my life as a kid so it's mm-hmm. this thing but the movie I'm glad you you know read up about it and everything it's a wonderful movie but uh, Crystal Star I did a uh, play with her on 1515 Broadway called Vignettes of the Valley which was about the black bottom of Detroit mm. and she cast me in a role and it was a socially interactive play with six players, six uh, characters, and my my uh, character, I ran the numbers in the brothel, and my name was uh, Gorgeous Lourdes. Hopefully she's, uh, I told her she should present to HBO because it was just amazing. So, yeah. yeah. Wow, that, that's amazing. Well, we're going to take our first break here, and if sure. you're just joining me, I am talking with Moon One Love, and we will be right <laughs> back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. We're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and we're talking with Moon One Love, who's also known as Erica Chantel Carter, a Detroit original. You know, I thought it was, it is true that singing, anytime there's a, a thing that you do that, that puts you in that acting role to sort of like really get that, that mood out to let people know if you're belting out a song, if you're doing right, you know, people right. in there performing, you know, you do take that on. But, you know, one of the things that you had mentioned in our last segment was like when you like at the African-American Museum, you came and you said, you know, I'm a trans woman. And then, yeah. you know, and, and after that, you went right into doing doing what you do. And, you but know, um, mm-hmm. many people think that activism means that you have to get up and, 
and, you know, do a whole bunch of, but sometimes it's standing in your truth and how you do that. I mean, it's like, right. that's just who I am. Okay, next. <laughs> next. <laughs> and, and the thing about it that was crazy and it was a lot of fun about it is the fact that I've been at the Harbor House. I've performed at the Harbor House a couple of times with Sky Covington and done performances. Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing at Harbor House. I um, I said I didn't I don't didn't choose to be. I happened to be a woman, and I talk about talked about my truth. And then I went into song. <clears throat> and I, I what happened with the Charles H. Wright Museum last August? We were um, all the artists was were there was three three young ladies that were singing and two guys, a saxophonist, and then about ten other acts were hip-hop artists, you know, MCs and rappers. So we were all doing sound check. And I was doing sound check. They were just loving everything. They were just loving everything. So a lot of their audience, a lot of the core audience were the people that were invited by artists like, you know, I had several people come see me. Mm-hmm. But I think the shock was for them when I when I uh, said that on, on stage that I was a post-op trans, trans woman, and I explained to them post-op meaning that I had my surgery at age 21, you know, for, and I said for gender confirmation. I make sure not to say sex change. And we'll mm-hmm. get to that because when you say sex in anything, people think aberrant behavior, deviation, things of that nature. And I, and, and, it, it really is gender confirmation. It's not sex change because your sex is already in your spirit and in your heart and your mind. So I think it just really stirred them when the artists that were there, they were grooving to me when we were doing sound check. And for them, for me to do my original song, and but before I did my original song, I started off with Aretha Franklin's song, See, Come Back to Me. And when, as soon as I said, it was, you know how those moments when you say, when people say, oh, the mic dropped? <laughs> Mic drop moment. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> as soon as I said that, you know, I came out and tell everyone I'm in one love, and they were vibing. Then when I said that, the audience kind of went, uh, you know, and it was mm-hmm. a young lady there from um, who who plays um, on Empire, the singer, uh, that's with Hakeem and Empire. She was in the audience, and I said, and then after I said what I said, I went on into T come back to me, and then Brian hits the keys. Then I go, now you don't call anymore, I sit away. So to go ahead and say that and then go right into the mm-hmm. queen of music, I don't say the queen of solo, I say the queen of music, because she has inspired just about everyone. And mm-hmm. it was just a wonderful, it, it, cathartic experience for me, because I get to and, be able to mm-hmm. dialogue with people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's the other part that I think that what you just said was so powerful. You know, it's about you, you didn't, you're not talking about sex because especially when you're a member of the LGBTQ community, there's somehow or other people want to throw, get into your sex life, you know, or put everything yeah, in terms of sex. And the fact Who that, you're that sleeping they, with. Uh-huh. How you're sleeping with. That, you know, and that it's not like you said – Gender confirmation. I mean, so, yes. you know, you're not saying, because, you know, there's all those people in it. Well, I wonder what. You know, it's none of your business, first of all. But your gender confirmation, you're not saying, oh, one day I woke up and, and decided I wanted to be a girl. No. You had that feminine, that woman spirit from the moment you came into the universe. And this was just mm-hmm. confirmation. 
And that is really powerful because, you know, sometimes you're not going to change every heart and mind, but you can move them to think beyond that little narrow box that they probably want to show respect. And show respect because trans. Mm -hmm. Gender people, trans people have been a part of society since the dawn of humanity. We break mm-hmm. down biologically. The X is the chromosome that is the dominant and is the original and first chromosome. The Y chromosome is, a, is an underdeveloped, truncated, shortened Y. I mean, the Y is an underdeveloped X. So you get the Y chromosome from the X. Even testosterone comes from progesterone. So when I can talk to people about on a biological, you know, just just from biology, from a standpoint and 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 anatomy, you have more up to 57 zygotes, and they said, what are zygotes? Zygotes are your chromosomes. So you have people with XXY, Y, you know, XXX, mm-hmm. you know, XYYY, and it has a lot to do with their behavior because your 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 behavior is is affected by the wash of hormones over the pituitary gland when you are in utero and gestation. So, you know, I did a lot of research to understand self because I don't know anything other than who Moon is or Erica is. So it's never been what I was taught or or what I was told. My father, who was a, a gangster and very matter of fact, he said, baby, you're a product of nature, not nurture. He was very matter of fact and simple in his approach. And I come from a family where I have seven, it's seven of us on my mother's side and and on my father's side is several more brothers and sisters just eight blocks away out in southwest Detroit. So I have grew up with seven brothers and six sisters and my mother's husband. So I had women to look to. I had men to look to. I had examples, but that had nothing to do innately with what my mindset was, and my mother recognized that as a child. You know, took me to a psychiatrist when I was seven, and I was diagnosed uh, with gender dysphoria, at age seven, and, you know, Dr. Rice said, your child, Ricky, and I'm writing a book, you know, about the first 17 years of my life called A Boy mm-hmm. Called Ricky, and it's basically um, is, is going to uh, talk about my visit with him at age seven. He said, your child is emotionally, intellectually, and dare I say it, because he said he wasn't a religious person, spiritually, is female, and more than likely your child is going to grow into being um, a, a, a girl, and uh, then when I was 15, my mother took me to endocrinologist because I wasn't producing any testosterone to develop like a male like the rest of my brothers. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was also chromosomal. So it's, it's not, I just want people of the LGBTQA community to know that we are born the way we are and we are the way we are, not, beyond, not for choosing. No one would choose to be put in a position where you, you're ostracized. And I just believe that the LGBT community, especially trans people, I believe we're the strongest because we mm-hmm. have to endure a lot of societal afflictions, you know, especially being out that I am. I mean, for a long time, passing was a privilege, and passing was also uh, being able to go about in society and not be bothered by for being trans, but, you know, people are like, oh, you're, you're beautiful or you're attractive because I'm almost six feet tall and I cannot be seen. Even when I don't mm-hmm. want to be seen <laughs> with my hair, <laughs> have a baseball cap on and having a bad hair day and no makeup, I'm still being approached. And so I, the best way I handle that is with a smile and talk to people, and that's, that's the beauty of it. And, um, and that, that's what led into, you know, uh, a subject matter 
you know, will address as far as what happened to Mia Watts. But, you know, because we're going to go on in a minute, but you know what? How, and I'm, I'm, I can't wait to read your book because you know I'm going to read it, but, you know, that you talk <laughs> you. about, you know, to, to say from seven, and first of all, that your the wisdom for women are wise, the wisdom of your mother knowing that this was her daughter and supporting yeah. you from seven on. To, and then you, you've you been through all of it. And, you know, we often, unfortunately, hear too much about young trans women dying. But here, or, or, or you meet young trans women who feel that they don't have opportunities. You sing, you act, you've been you. You've embraced you unapologetically, and you've been you. And, you know, yeah. how important Front that of the is. Beginning. For, that mm-hmm. you're there in the community, that you have these young women who are going like Mama Moon, you know, because mm-hmm. yes. that is so powerful. Yes, it is. And and it's, mm-hmm. and it's a responsibility with that. It's, it's very humbling. It, it when, when I hear that, what I hear is my responsibility and call to action. Mm-hmm. I may not be an advocate that is part of a program by the state, you know, you have advocates that are able to, you know, with the government funding, be able to do advocacy work and get paid for it by going working with different agencies, and I admire that because they should be paid for it so they can go and travel and go to different parts of the country and the world to advocate for who we are, especially trans women of color. And the thing about it is, yes, at age seven I was taking psychiatry, but I have been identifying female ever since, you know, uh, my mm-hmm. first cognitive thought. So I've never been able, it, and, and, and of course, m- my mother, she prayed for and, and named me before I was even born. She wanted a girl, and, and there's a lot of things, but there was also this, her guilt. What did I do, especially as a the mother of a, of, of, of a, um, a, a pastor, a preacher, and I mean the, do- the daughter of, my mother was mm-hmm. a PK, a preacher's kid, so she had her Christian guilt to deal, to deal with. What did I do? Oh, this and then third like that. Mm-hmm. And then she, then after everything was proven, you know, by the psychiatrist and endocrinologist, she was like, oh, this is the miracle of Jesus. She reconciled it with her faith. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it was a beautiful thing for her. But there was a struggle. And then the amazing thing is I look just like her. I mean, uh-huh. from, the mm-hmm. way, from the way I and built, to, to, even to the way my hands and feet are shaped, just mm-hmm. the way I gain weight and lose weight. I'm, and anatomically, my anatomy is like hers. And, it's, and, and out of her seven children, I'm her twin. So it's, it's, right. it's prophetic in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But it is mm-hmm. a challenge bringing up um, uh, a child that is trans and grasping with that. Like there, mm-hmm. there were things that happened I wasn't. I was never, as a child, molested or had anything sexual happen. But I, I was. I had a lot of verbal abuse, physical abuse, and mental abuse and spiritual abuse because we went to a very small church, which was very, 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 very homophobic, and they didn't understand trans. <laughs> they just. Mm-hmm. It was some. It's you know. That's just mm-hmm. a whole nother thing. But that that even comes to the point of a song I'm writing in a part of a book is that is Jesus on the wall because I'm looking at Jesus on the wall and I'm being persecuted at this church every Sunday. Mm. So, but mm. you know, that would give you strength too. Um, sometimes people mm-hmm. succumb, but I, I just chose not to be a victim and I was given a backbone by 
my father, my mother's husband, and several people in my family. Because you can be victimized, but victims succumb. I wasn't going to succumb uh-huh. to anything, you know, because mm-hmm. I, 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 especially my father, he, my father was very much in my corner and very protective of me. All right. You weren't a victim. You were a victor. And I think that right. that's great. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's why I say, you know, we can be victimized, but you don't have to succumb to it. And, and thank you. I, I feel that way. So I, I have yeah. a message in you, just my life as a testimony being here mm-hmm. because the life of a black trans woman generally isn't past 40. It's 35, mm-hmm. 37 years old. Mm-hmm. And that's sad. Nope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. one of the, one of the things that, you know, that we, it's, we've been working our way up to it. Okay. I've done the yeah. secret society of twisted storytellers and I'm going to tell you, and you and I both know to get up there and tell your story in front of people on a topic, mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it, it's like, okay, you, like you said, you got to get in the role. And so I follow, like, the different things, and you did a story on justice. And I'm going to tell yes. you, I did not go to Watts. In fact, I remember that hearing that name, Watts Club Mozambique. Yes. Never went. Had to ask somebody. So, well, I, I knew. I figured I got that it was a nightclub. I knew that it was a nightclub. Mm-hmm. Then when I heard right. your story, you know, it was like I wonder if that place is even still there. But so mm-hmm. you also bring to part a part of the history of Detroit that we Absolutely. have had businesses and places that we went and we had this other life. But could yes. you tell that story? Because Absolutely. I think that it 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 really shows. Grace under fire. So, would you would you share that story with us? I sure will, and thank you. Um, and also, with that story comes some history because I won my case, which is a discrimination mm-hmm. case. Though it wasn't televised, people can look up to it. So, I was the first black trans woman to win a discrimination case. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. I'm going to pull up all that information. Charters and Heck, Charters Heck, it'll. Charters Heck O'Donnell was the law firm that took my case. So I used to go to Club Watts. I, I, one of my, two of my best friends, Tanya Curry and Gina Lee, and Gina Lee, I'm the godmother to her three children that I've helped her raise, and I'm honored by that. My girlfriends used to go to Club Watts Mozambique. Now, for history, Club Watts Mozambique was an, an adult entertainment club where uh, – Throughout the weekdays, they had topless dancers. They had female dancers. And then on the weekend, Friday and Saturday, they had male dancers. And across the street, they had Henry's Palace, which which they battled back and forth um, as far as patronage. And a lot of people that went to Watts went to Henry's, but Watts had more of a stronghold on that, on Finkel. And the male dancers were becoming more and more popular, and they had commercials on, on Channel 62 with the new dance show and or the scene. So I was going there and have been going there as a pre-op trans woman since 1986. And, of course, my girlfriends, they went more often than me. I would go maybe four or five times a year because it just wasn't that big of a deal to me. I enjoyed it. But in the 90s, and I had my surgery in 1988, so I went there uh, for four years, um, actually six years, 1986 to, to, no, yeah, yeah, 86. So I went there from 86 to 88 as a pre-op, 
and then all the way up as a post-op till 93. And what happened was Mr. Watts and a lot of dancers never knew my disposition as a trans woman. You know, one of my girlfriends and from high school and some of my other friends, we would go to be a girls' night out. We would chat and talk more so to even pay attention to the dancers. And the thing about it was crazy is I ended up having a situation because a dancer, I spurned his advances, so he made an, an issue with Mr. Watts, who's the owner, and when he had gotten wind that I was a trans woman, it didn't bother him. It bothered him that this trans woman turned him down. So he did a campaign against me with Mr. Watts. So I was asked to leave the club um, in 93. This was in April. And I got a tap on the shoulder, and I said, okay, what's going on? They said, well, um, do you have to leave? This is a woman's club and women only, you know, because the night of male dancers. And by that time, in 93, it become all the nights were for male dancers. So, you know, that had become that mm-hmm. popular. And for a while, I was doing their most popular dancers here, which is Two Sweet Lawrence, who I was really good friends with, and I knew several other dancers. And to be honest, I've even, even um, uh, dated two of the dancers. So it was no big deal. And to be asked to leave, and I asked why, and the gentleman told me, you know, Mr. Watts wants you to leave. And I went over there to talk to Mr. Watts, and he was very indignant. And here it is. I go and talk to him. He said, well, you have to leave because I was told that you're not a, a real woman. I said, excuse me, yeah. not a real woman? I was told that you are, you are a, a, a one of those. He called me one of those. Yeah. And it was just crazy because my friend and mentor, Latoya Pearson, had been a commentator who was a post-op trans woman as well and, and beloved in the community, had hosted events there and been a hostess there to some of their biggest events. But I said, so I said, one of those people, yeah, and, you, and I said, excuse me. He said, well, I heard that you're not a real woman. I was told you're not a real woman. I said, Mr. Watts, I'm a real woman, and I showed him my ID. I said, and not only am I a real woman, but if that's the case, if you must know, I am a trans woman. I've had my surgery. And he told me that I wasn't a woman. I'm giving you a little bit more detail than, than what I did on stage, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. just to give significance. So he, he, was told, he told me he didn't make a difference. I had to leave. So my friends were very upset about that because a lot of my friends just don't see me as a trans woman. They just see me as a woman. They see me as Erica. They could care less. And, and I've had friendships with women for 10, 15 years that never knew because I didn't bring it up because I was just passing. Women I've modeled with and so forth. But, you know, my friends knew. So they were upset. We left. And I told Mr. Watts, I said, Mr. Watts, I said, this is not a good thing in so many words. I said, I'll be back. We went back a week later, so nine of my friends and I went back, and we corralled together. They were upset, and they wanted to go ahead and support me. So when we went, they all went in before me. Then I came in and sat at the table with them. So it was ten of us. So he did it again, and he he had someone basically be aggressive with me. And After that, I mean, they weren't too aggressive, but they were very assertive. And I said, you, please take your hands off me. You don't have to touch me. So we all got up. I said, ladies, let's all 
get up. So we all got up and talked to Mr. Watts. And he says to me, you have to go. You know, my dancers don't want you here. They feel threatened by you. And I said, no, they don't. I said, so I said, Mr. Watts, I said, this is the thing. You are a black owner. You are a black man. I said, Dr. Martin Luther King fought for civil rights. And I gave him a spiel. I said, I'm going to take you to court. I said, I gave you a chance. I have to sue you. I'm going to take you to court. And he was like, oh, well, excuse me. I said, and the sad thing about it is I know that you are a gay man. That's what makes it even more hurtful. You're married, mm-hmm. but I know that you're a gay man. And you're doing this to me. I said, you're being uh, prejudiced against your own people amongst your own people, black and black people of that gay community because we weren't really saying LGBT back in 93. So I ended yeah. up uh, getting my case picked up by Charles Heckin O'Donnell and um, Eric Goldberg worked with me and he was just wonderful. And the company, well, the um, law firm felt that I had an open and shut case and they wanted to go to court. I just was steadfast while I wanted an apology and to settle out of court. It felt like I could win my case, you know, uh, two to five to two to six million dollars. You know, it was like, you go to court, this and that. We take this to uh, the court system. And I said, well, I really don't want to do that. And they said it was an open and shut case. So we had depositions, and there was 33 male dancers. And what was crazy about it, as the male dancers went in, all of the male dancers except one, all of them said, well, I like Erica. She's, she's fine. And half, more than half of them did not know that I was a trans woman. And the rest that did know didn't care. And it was just that one dancer who was, I spurned his advances, who had an issue. So uh, we agreed to settle out of court. And I knew that when I saw Mr. Watts and his lawyer, his lawyer basically begged for us to settle out of court. And I had talked about it. And I said, I'm going to settle out of court because my lawyer was like, well, Mr. You know, Ms. Carter, Erica, I said, no, I'm going to sell out of court. I said, I told Mr. Watts, I said, I'm selling out of court with you because if I were to take you to court, I would ruin your business, I would ruin your reputation, and your bus- you would lose your business. I said, the heart of me can't do that. I'll be satisfied with a, with, with a an apology and a settlement. So I got a settlement. It wasn't a huge settlement. I could have went mm-hmm. for $50,000. I could have went for $100,000. I settled for $10,000. Mm. I, I, no, it was know. more important. It was more important mm-hmm. to make a point. Mhm. Mhm. But you know, I mean, a lot of people say, "Oh, I would have gone for the money." But you thought, you thought not only, you know, mm-hmm. about you wanted justice, you wanted that apology, yes. but you thought about the black business. You thought about his foolishness. I mean, you thought I did. you took all of these things into it. I did. Mm-hmm. And. You made the right. You, I mean, you made a decision from your heart and your spirit. And a lot of people would go mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I would have just gone after him." They you know he said that to me. But first of all, it didn't take away from you because you knew you the woman right. that you are. But you and wanted, he, and it made him, wanted and, and he and he made a fool of himself. The the thing about it is, at, at the end of the day, I had so many people. You could get this. You could, I said, it's not about the money for me. Oh, well, why not? And I said, because it's not. 
Mm-hmm. It, he didn't take money from my pocketbook. What he did was he insulted me, mm-hmm. and I gave him a chance. I gave him a chance. You know, I, I went back with 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 the same group of people to see if he would do this again, and he did. And I really told him, now I have to take you to court. I gave him a chance, and it's the heart and soul of me. I thought about this because Charter Tech and O'Donnell. And Eric Goldstein, who was very kind, he understood. I said, listen, and when you talk to Jewish people, Jewish people, when we, when, when, and I play Tunta Franklin by Club, when we as people of color, Jewish people understand where we come from when it comes to persecution and it comes to those type of things being scrutinized about your ethnicity or your religious belief or lack thereof. And he understood where I, where I, what, what I meant. I said, I said, Mr. Goldstein, he said, Eric would call me Eric. I said, Eric, if I were to go forward with a court case, how long would I be in court? This would take a year and a half, maybe two years. I said, so I'm going to have to revel in reliving this, and I'll be full of anguish and be upset, hurt, angry that I have to come to court on the regular to get a couple of million dollars, which for me was not going to be fulfilling in an emotional or mm-hmm. spiritual impact. And I said, and then I look at this. That man cannot afford for me to take him to court and sue him for 2 to $5 million. It would end his business. I would take business out of the black community, a viable business, because it was a very viable business, very popular business. And not only that, all of the people that worked there, from the barmaids to the uh, – the, uh, dancers, to the security, to the bartenders, mm-hmm. everyone, I'm, I'm, I'm going to create calamity for these people. They may find other jobs, but some, a lot of these people, that's what they live off of, and that's what they make their living off of, and I just can't do it. I said, if we go to TV, I'm going to be interviewed on TV, I'm going to be blasting this man over and over and over. So it's going to turn into this big <laughs> avalanche and deluge towards this man, and even though he was wrong, the heart, of, uh-huh. the heart of me just could not go ahead and tear apart and tear down this man's um, business because of his, of his indignation towards me. And I said, and then I know by me knowing that he is a homosexual, it, it, that pissed me off, but it made me uh-huh. feel bad for him in many ways. But I got what I wanted, and I got an apology. I settled uh-huh. out of court. I could have pressed you know, his lawyer was like, whew, because I really could have pressed for $100,000, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, 50000 and and up to say. I just said, I said, what will expedite this? So I'm going with my life and going with his. Because the man made a fool of himself. You had 33 mm-hmm. dancers mm-hmm. that came and did depositions. Now, they would go ahead and give depositions where people don't understand that a deposition is basically the same thing you're, you're going to say when you're court. It's court before court. So you can't deviate from your deposition. If any of those dancers were to change their stories, then they're going to get in um, trouble because then they'll have perjury. He was so arrogant thinking that these guys would speak against me, and they didn't. So I, I chose not to, and I feel like I'm a better person, not going into court. That would have took a year and a half to two years to play out to get a pay, big paycheck for my misfortune. Then you know, and, then, and you are the bigger person because, you know, like I said, he didn't, he didn't 
take anything away from you. You knew no. the woman that you were. He belittled himself. He took yes. away from himself. And, you know, you wanted an apology, but it mm-hmm. did not, you know, and, and to go through all this time where, you know, you would have been dodging things that you, that you didn't have to. You don't, you know, you are a queen. And you yes. held your head up like a queen and stepped on out, you know. And, right. and really, in that way that you handled it, you know, really showed what he was. And as my mama would say, God don't like ugly because you're here mm-hmm. today telling me about this. And that's a vacant lot. Yeah. That's a vacant lot. Yeah, I don't think so, it's, you know. it's a vacant mm-hmm. lot. And, and here it, you are it, today. It, Right, and the thing about it is about he brought about his own demise with his own self-inflicted self-hatred, and that's another thing that we we have to, to help heal in our community is the, mm-hmm. you know, self-hatred. There should be no self-hatred. It should be self-love because you are who you are, and I, I'll, I'll go with the adage, God doesn't make mistakes. You are here because... You're here because of love, and, and anybody with children have to deal with. I, I do a lot of work with children. Children, we, when we're growing up as children, dealing with our own self-esteem is an issue. So we, we just really have to lift each other up, and part of me being moon on love is to have a dialogue with people and change the dialogue in which the LGBT community is, is referenced. Like, I, I make fun and say LGBT. I said, that sounds like a sandwich, some mayonnaise, <laughs> some tomato. And people, people laugh and say, oh, Erica, you're so silly. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, well, yeah, I, why, why do we have to be LGBT, LGBTQA, and all these other monikers? Or we're, we're human beings. We live, we breathe, we dream, we sleep, we eat. We want to be protected and, and lifted up, and we want people to, to love on us, and we want to love on on other people. And that's just the way it is. That's just the human condition. So mm-hmm. part of my mission statement is through entertainment is to be a, a conduit for that, to, to be a vessel for that. We're going to take our second break here. And yes. we'll be right back. We're talking with Moon One Love. We'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and we're talking with Moon One Love. Her, it's up on YouTube. If you go to the Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers, you can hear her tell the story. And the thing is, again, you told it with grace. 
You told it with humor, but the theme of that night was justice. And I think that anybody who was sitting there at the end of your presentation went like, yes, she got justice. They understood that. But, you know, earlier you talked about, about being black, being trans, being part of, under that gay umbrella, and it is. It's like so many things that we don't take it for, I mean, it, we don't take it for granted. We are in that intersection where you have to think about it. You have to think about things, you know, from a bigger perspective. And I think one, and that's why I really love my trans sisters and I love black queer people because sometimes we do, we have to, we can be those leaders because we can step back and look at the things that you did. Mm-hmm. How is this going to hurt the community? What, or more importantly, what does the community need? The community needs employment. It needs businesses. You thought about your, the people who work there, but you also then again have that target on your back where someone could where is going to take a, a cheap shot at you. And, but then about being true to yourself and living authentically and standing there with your head you know, held high. I mean, there's so many things about that story, about living authentically, that are really lessons for leadership. And as particularly in these days when people are quick to, to say whatever, want to throw people under the bus, say the meanest and cruelest thing, that sometimes, you know, if people would take a moment and step back and have that thought process like like what you went through right you are you are an activist you are a leader how do you how do you try to pass that lesson on to people well you pass i I do a hashtag sometimes um hashtag beauty will save the world it's it's a line Mm. from a song Mm. and beauty will save the world is saying basically being beautiful on the inside will flow on the outside and to be a light. But I also do a hashtag where I say, um, let me get it together. <laughs> uh, my, 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 my life is activism. And what I mean is I live very openly with being a trans woman because I've lived many years in stealth where I knew that I was passing, and I had a conversation with someone, and she said, but what good is that? And several years ago, I started, you know, five years ago, I started outing myself everywhere I went. You know, I've been a member of a Franklin Racket Club for 20 years, so I started telling my friends I've been playing tennis with for 20 years, and some of them cried and said, thank you. I just love you even more and respect you even more. I, I tell people everywhere I go, we'll have, I'll have conversations. I'll be at the grocery market. I'll be at Whole Foods. I'll be at uh, Myers, And I'm always singing. People are like, oh, she's singing today. And then, you know, and I'll be singing songs. Oh, sugar daddy, when you kiss me, it's like Teddy in my dreams. And I'll have people singing with me while I'm getting groceries and what have you, mm-hmm. making people smile. And then when I have the opportunity to talk to people, we'll talk politics, race, religion, and I believe all subject matters are open. And I'll say, well, yeah, as, as a, a post-op trans woman, and I say post-op so they understand pre-op and post-op, and understand what a trans woman is. And 
sometimes the conversation just goes on like, oh, okay, thanks for telling me. Oh, I don't understand. Can you define that for me? Then when I break it down, people go, well, you're just a woman to me. I just met you. You're just a, I, wow, you're, you're just, thank you. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's how you give the information. How, it's re- how you give the information has a lot to do with how it will be received. And it, 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 I, I believe that I've been given a sensibility to be able to engage with people and know when to say this right here and there. I don't want to say drop the bomb because that's negative, but to go ahead and interject my disposition as a human being and mm-hmm. my, my, my um, status of who I am and what I am. And then when people see that I'm no different from anybody else except for that I'm laughing and telling jokes, I'm no different than you. You look at these entertainers, Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Grace Jones, Annie Lennox, all these over-the-top entertainers, they're, they're avatars of their self. They're representing their higher selves, you know, and they're outlandish and they're it's a pageantry that's majestic when they perform. So uh, are they acting like drag queens? Are they acting – and I throw drag queens in it because I don't separate drag queens or, or uh, women who are uh, female impersonators. I don't separate my sisters from me for the simple fact that it's just artistry. So mm-hmm. when we, we as women, we're expressive, but entertainers. When people see that I'm an entertainer, I just happen to be a trans woman. You know, it, it, it being a trans woman might make me more interesting, but it it gives me the opportunity, or makes people more curious about me. But it gives them me the opportunity to educate along the way. Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. You know, being so, in yeah. So, okay, we know that you act. I know that you sing. I know that you got a book coming out. What else is on the horizon? for Moon One Love? Well, what's on the horizon right now is pulling together some things to put out my first piece of music, which is The Sugar Daddy Sweet, which would be three songs using candy as a reference to love and then three remixes to that, and then after that, my impending album. So Mm. that's what I'm working on now, and um, getting some bookings and engagements throughout the rest of the year, and hopefully I'll be at some of the major uh, pride festivals within the next, you know, um, from this spring to next year, and to be able to be impactful. So that's what I'm working on is getting my music out there and getting my message with my music, you know, because to get, to get my music is to get me, and to get me is to get my message. Uh-huh. No, I promised I wasn't going to keep you real long, so, but I do want to know. Uh-huh. I've been enjoying myself, want, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. If people want to contact you, if they want to book you for that, that big event, how, what's the best way for them to reach you? The best way for them to reach me, and people have reached out to me, I have a Moon One Love like page on Facebook, mm-hmm. Moon One Love, M-O-O-N, one L-U-V, and I have Erica Chantel Carter on Facebook, and under it will say Erica Chantel Carter, E R I C A S H A N T E L, then Carter. 
and it will say Moon One Love up underneath, and so it will connect you to my like page. And then I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, and on Instagram is Moon One Love. It's M O O N underscore O N E L O V E. Mm-hmm. Moon One Love. So, and you can find me there, and also at uh, um, on Gmail. So. Um, mm-hmm. at moonflymusic, uh, LLC at gmail.com. Okay. Now, um, I hope to, in the near future, very new future, to have you come back. I'd like to talk more about um, your book, I mean, and and just to talk with you because I think you're an amazing person. <laughs> um, I wanna... <laughs> and we could do major things for the community, absolutely. Oh, definitely. Um, I want to thank you for making the time to be with me tonight and to talk about your life and and, you know, I hope that people will go and watch that video when you talk about justice because it will make you think. It'll oh, yeah, make, especially, absolutely. Uh, especially if you're getting ready, if you've got a big decision about, you know, should I blow this up or what, it will make you think. And so um, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I look forward to coming back. Okay, and I will talk to you in the very near future. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. I want to thank today's guest, Erica Chantel Carter, Moon One Love, the goddess from space. You can watch the full video of a performance about justice on YouTube at the Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.